Hi there, and welcome back to the Equipoise Podcast, where in 10 minutes or less, we try to bring a little bit of balance to the equation. Today, we're going to be talking about a balanced approach to the original languages. In the last few decades, I've seen a real shift toward one of two extremes in the Christian community. There's been an increase in the in the Greek camp, as well as an equally, I think, large increase to the I don't need no stinking Greek camp. <laughs> Sorry. Why is this? Well, perhaps it's the advent of this potent combination of the personal computer and the internet. Knowledge is more accessible than ever before. And before you get to quoting, knowledge puffeth up. Well, think about what you're doing. Think about what you're doing when you say that just blanket statement over everything. You're vilifying any and all knowledge, even the knowledge that allows you to interpret my odd guttural sounds and translate them to words and thoughts and feelings. So no, knowledge isn't a bad thing. It's an incredibly good thing. Um, This isn't part of my script, but I was just thinking about this. Uh, Mark Foster has an amazing podcast called This Poor Path. Podcast, and in one of the recent episodes, um, it is June of 2021. So, in one of the recent episodes, he talks about how people, pastors, teachers, especially in my denominational tradition, we tend to be fairly guilty of vilifying knowledge in academia. It's worth a listen. Um, So, knowledge is good. Same with academia, right? I've seen and heard academia being vilified like never before lately. Maybe it has to do with the crossroads of academia and science, right? Uh, It's the same with science. Just because you don't like the Big Bang or the COVID-19 shot um, doesn't mean you can make all science bad. That's just silly. And just because you think that some areas of academia produce arrogant, ignorant scholars doesn't mean they all do. That's equally silly, right? Silly. This is called, it's a fallacy of false association, You're lumping everything in together. Um, So anyways, um, there's definitely been an increase in both of these camps, representing two extremes. One extreme says there is hidden knowledge and understanding in the original languages that can only be accessed if you know the Greek and Hebrew. Okay. I do think there's insight in the Greek and Hebrew, but I don't want to go so far as to be like a Gnostic, right? And to say that there's like a certain level of relationship with God you can only have if you know. No, I don't want to... Uh, The other extreme says, the original languages are of the devil. I don't know why I go Southern accent. I I don't mean anything against people from the South. I don't. But I'm going to continue. God gave me my KJV purified seven times. It's perfect in English, and the Hebrew and Greek aren't needed anymore. All right, so is there a balance? I think so. Let's address the first extreme. It's absolutely wearying to hear people, especially pastors and teachers, who we're supposed to be able to trust to shepherd us accurately and correctly, run to their Strong's Concordance and ESORD program. ESORD's great. Love ESORD. But man, oof. Anyways, we'll get there. Um, And and they run to the Strong Concordance and ESORD, and they think that they're experts in the Greek and the Hebrew. It's awful. It makes me want to pull out what little hair I have left. Pull it right out of my head. Oof. I think I, I think I really feel my blood pressure rising just talking about this. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Anyways, uh, if you read carefully, James Strong, the guy who wrote Strong's Concordance, he's not shy at all about the fact that his work was never intended to be used as some sort of all-sufficient resource into the Greek and Hebrew languages. It's kind of like the uh, preface to the KJV. I, I don't care at this point if you're KJVO or non-K, whatever. 
the guys who actually translated the King James Version were like, please, please, don't stop translating here. This is just what we've come up with now. I mean, they were real humble about the thing. So, anyways, we'll, we'll get into that much, much later. Alrighty, just that was enough to get me in trouble. I've got half a mind just to start over. I don't think I will. I, 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 it's, I want to go home, so I'm going to continue. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, there's so many ways to miss the mark when it comes to uh, running to the Greek without proper knowledge, right? Um, with just a strong concordance or esword. Um, without proper knowledge of context, syntax, nuance, idiomatic usage, common usages, and so on. One major mistake, and the most obvious one, right, is that we make words mean things they don't mean. Mark Ward puts it in the following way. He says that when we tend to, that when we do that, we tend to, here's a quote, load up Bible words with more meaning than the Spirit intended, end quote, when we run to the strongs and pretend to be experts. It's so true. We do this because I think we're shooting for like a slam dunk or a mic drop, trying to produce an aha moment in our listeners, and all we're doing is being intellectually dishonest with the Greek or Hebrew, right? Worse with Hebrew. Hebrew's harder, but uh, I'll never forget one time my wife came home from a ladies' meeting at a church we used to attend. The pastor's wife was teaching, and she grabbed a word from a strong concordance and tried to make a mic drop point. Problem was, she couldn't have been further from the truth. It was awful. She mutilated the text so badly that that ladies' meeting should have had an R rating on it for violence, man. I mean, it was bad. And, and here's the hilarious part, right? My wife, who knows no Greek whatsoever, even picked up on it. I remember I actually got a little bit angry about that one when she came home and showed me the notes. To make matters worse, her husband was one of the guys I know who refuses to use a commentary, let alone refer to the original languages. So I was even more confused about what on earth was going on. Anyways, another misstep that we often make when we go right to the Greek is that we mistake an etymology for a meaningful application of how a word is used. So many things are missed this way. For instance, I could say, oh, for crying in the bucket. And people in America would know what I mean. Well, maybe not. That's a weird one. But people in China might not. Or English speakers separated from me by about 500 years might not. That's just the way it is. Language isn't always easily understood when we confer only with dictionaries and concordances. We've got to learn more than just a few entries in a strong concordance before we can consider ourselves able to properly use the original languages. Okay, so we've seen some real missteps to improperly using the Greek and Hebrew tongue. And man, do I have stories. Some of them are my own. But what about the other extreme then? Should we avoid these languages completely, right? No, I don't think we should. Now, this is going to bleed into the whole KJV only debate, and I'm going to be very careful to not get into that here. We will one day when I'm brave. But suffice to say that I think that the Greek and Hebrew can be very, very helpful. Here's an example from my sermon this morning. In Matthew 21, Jesus is apparently bent out of shape on a fig tree. But what he's doing brilliantly is addressing the corruption of the Israelite temple system with all of its messed up leaders who are aligning with Rome, maximizing profits. But Jesus is trying to say this isn't new by alluding to the book of Micah. How did he do this? By cursing a fig tree in a town known as the House of the Early Figs or Bethphage, the House of the Early Figs. Um, What's the significance of that? Well, in Micah 7, where God is decrying Israel for the exact same reasons as Jesus is prophesying against Israel in his day, God is frustrated and grieving over the fact that he can't seem to find a just man in all of Israel. He uses the illustration of not being able to find an early fig on a fig tree. We even find the Hebrew word bikura, which means, you guessed it, early fig, right? So just like we missed the whole point of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem if we're not familiar with 1 Kings 1, there is a connection here that I think we can miss if we're not familiar with biblical languages, right? So what do we do? Well, there's alternatives to just running to the strong concordance or esword for a quick hit of Greek or Hebrew. 
These come from Mark Ward as well. Stick with English. Use multiple translations, often done well by people who know the Greek and Hebrew. Even if you're a KJVO, you can still call these ultimate, you know, alternate translations paraphrases if it helps, but they do help. Number two, use Bible software that actually costs money, like Logos or something. Or three, use the BDAG lexicon. Um, that's a good one. It's a good one. And, and it actually has uh, full sentences to help you rather than just words. I'd add a fourth option. Actually learn the Hebrew and the Greek. Why not? We say that the Bible is central to our lives and we know more of our favorite sports stars than original language words. It's something to consider, that's all. In closing, if you're saying, I don't need no stinking Greek or Hebrew, just make sure you're saying that out of conviction, uh, not laziness, right? Um, it's one thing to say, I refuse to learn the original languages because I believe that English is sufficient in every situation for maximum understanding of the scriptures. I disagree, but at least it's an honest point of view. It's another thing completely to say, I don't want to learn that stuff, um, only because you don't want to take the time to master your craft um, and instead fall back on someone you listened to in 1981 go on about how the guys in charge of the NIV were demon-possessed or something, right? So anyways, um, in, in balance... If you're one of the ones who doesn't use Greek and Hebrew, at least use resources by people who do know these languages and manners and customs and things like that. On the flip side, if you're one who runs to the Greek every time someone asks you a question, I'd lovingly recommend that you calm down. <laughs> the guys who translated these Bibles knew the languages and usages way better than most people in the average American linguistic caliber do. So it's okay to read the Bible in English. It's going to be okay. So that's a really quick take on, you know, the dangers of using the Greek and, you know, some dangers of maybe avoiding the original languages. I say Greek, I mean Greek and Hebrew, you know what I mean. Alrighty, I'm out of time, but we're still within 10 minutes. So until next time, stay balanced. <laughs>